welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm very, very excited about today's guest. Mike Matthews joined me for a chat about being thinner, leaner, stronger, or in the case of a dude, perhaps bigger, leaner, stronger. I came across Mike's book last summer through the reference of a friend who was reading Bigger, Leaner, Stronger, and I sat by the pool in my bikini with my pot belly sticking out reading <laughs> Thinner, Leaner, Stronger, and I, the irony was not lost on me by the people who walked by. That being said, I work very, very, very hard at my nutrition and working out despite it constantly being a struggle. But out of all the things I have ever read, ever read on on muscle building, on nutrition, strength training, this book, Thinner, Leaner, Stronger, is the Bible. It it busts all the myths you would think um, that that might be true. It is. It's got forty pages as pages as <laughs> pages of references. Um, it's very researched, and Mike does a fantastic job in this book and across his social media, just helping people grow into the bodies that they want to have. So this is not about body shaming. This is not about making people lose weight. This is about us being comfortable in the bodies we want, about us having the bodies we want, not because society or media tells us to, but because we enjoy feeling our best. And I'm tired and tired, tired of the dialogue that tells us we are not allowed to shoot for better when it comes to our bodies. You should have the body you want, and you should be able and allowed and permitted and celebrated, (laughs) celebrated for going after what you want when it comes to your body. So to that end, I present you Mike Matthews. We have a great conversation and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, and welcome to the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Today's guest is Mike Matthews. Hi, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for being here. This is awesome. So uh, we were talking offline. Mike has a book coming out at the end of the 40th century. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> a traditionally published book, but gonna, he's the author of um, two. It's going to, when you just download books into your brain, you don't right, even read you them anymore. Books into your brain. Yeah. No, we were talking about how long it takes to get a book published, but he is an author of best-selling books, Bigger, Leaner, Stronger for Men and Thinner, Leaner, Stronger for Women. You guys have probably seen some things I posted about this. Um, last summer, especially when I was reading it. So after I read Thinner, Leaner, Stronger, I was like, I've got to have this guy on the podcast because it's just so great. So congratulations on on these books and, and for your, your mark on the world in the fitness industry. Thank you for my, my either, a, either a, hopefully not a blemish. A mark, <laughs> I'm doing, a doing, good mark. <laughs> a beauty mark. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, let's tell, let's talk to the audience a little bit about your background and, and your story and how you got involved in fitness. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty standard bro. Honestly, I got into, <laughs> I got into weightlifting when I was 17 turning 18. So I grew up playing sports, played a lot of ice hockey. And then when, as I was getting out of that, I was wanted to do something with my body. I got used to being active and, uh, I was 17, 18 and I was, I liked girls and girls liked muscle. So I was like, I'll just do that. I'll, uh, I'll go build some muscle, I guess. And uh, so I got some <laughs> friends together, <laughs> you know, you're 18. That's, 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 that's how your brain works. Right. Um, and, and so I, I grabbed some friends and, and we got into it and then I found I actually liked it for just, it was just, it was an enjoyable activity and it was an enjoyable social activity, but I didn't know what I was doing. I just picked up some 
some magazines and started doing random workouts in the magazines and started reading a bit of the magazines and I guess gleaning whatever I could and did that for a while, um, several years, probably six or seven years of not really educating myself, just kind of going through the motions, so to speak, or, well, I did apply myself, so I wasn't entirely going through the motions, but I was doing what most people did. Now at that time, social media wasn't really like, I don't, there was no Instagram, I think. And so a lot of the information that was kicking around would be like in gym locker rooms <laughs> or online forums, right. Or magazines. Right. There also wasn't much in the way of good books at the time, which is why I ended up writing a book. There was one that I came across once I started really looking called starting strength that really helped me. But, uh, a, a lot of the books, this is still a problem now, but it's a a bit, it's less of a problem because there is some good literature out there now on on the real science of of getting fit. A lot of it was just fad stuff, and right. I I knew enough to know that uh, I didn't need to follow a fad diet or some fad exercise routine, and so I I continued that way for a while and made some progress, gained a, a bit of muscle, not too much really in the scheme of things, considering that I was like six or seven years in. And to put it in perspective, for for a guy. And this certainly applies to a woman as well. Seven years in, you if you've done everything right, you've you have achieved your final form. Like <laughs> you can you are gonna get as fit as you ever will be in your lifetime, probably within your first five years as a guy. And I would say that that's probably the same for for women, although I'll say that women can get the the body that most women want, they can get a bit faster because for guys, they have to generally gain a bit more muscle than women need to gain to get the body they want. And they have to grow smaller, stubborn muscle groups that, that just take more time, like biceps and shoulders and pecs and stuff. So, um, anyway, seven years in, uh, and I've, I've made a, a bit of progress, but nothing impressive. And then I decided to actually apply myself and I figured I'm already putting the work in. So I might as well take some time to sharpen my ax, so to speak, and, uh, get better at cutting this tree down. Cause I wasn't really making any, <laughs> any progress anymore. And, and that's, that's when I, when I turned to, when I found a book like starting strength that introduced me to the importance of barbell training. And I came across, uh, really the evidence-based fitness space, which was in its infancy, especially at that time. So this would be about seven years ago now, seven or eight years ago. And it's, it's bigger now and it's, it's growing. Uh, but at the time there were only a handful of people that were really taking the time to dive into the scientific literature and then translate it for laymen. Uh, so at the time, so someone like, like me could just read an article or a book or whatever and, and really have practical evidence-based takeaways that I can then use to, to get results. And so that was a bit of a process. And, uh, throughout that process though, I started changing what I was doing in the gym and changing how I was eating and, uh, got great results, which is, is of course, unsurprising looking back, but at the time, I remember it was like a revelation that, right, right. you know, I, I can eat uh, all these different supposedly verboten foods and, and still get really lean. And I didn't have to be in the gym like two hours a day. And I could just focus on a smaller number of exercises and just work on getting strong. And there was just a lot of, th I didn't have to do much cardio or any cardio at all to get lean. And those, of course, were the exact opposites of what I'd been hearing for so long. And um, and so people started asking me what I was doing, people that were noticing the changes, and I was explaining things. And then friends of mine would come to the gym with me, and I'd kind of work, walk them through my workouts and help them set up meal plans based on what I was learning and what was working. And uh, I remember I was in the gym one, with one of these friends, and this is a, the first time I had gotten pretty lean. So I was probably around 7 or 8% body fat, which to put a visual to that, I don't know, that's like maybe Brad Pitt and Fight Club lean or, or <laughs> right, right. Maybe somewhere between that and Troy lean. Troy, right? I was going to say Troy. <laughs> uh, and and so, so I looked pretty good. And uh, well, my friend was like, you should just take your shirt off on YouTube and sell stuff. And... <laughs> And I was like, I just, I can't, that's, I can't do that. That, that, that would, that, that is, it's, 
Yeah, I couldn't. Right. I could. I just couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to become an influencer, even though that wasn't. That was like a, that. That term maybe wasn't even around at the time, but it seemed so dirty to me. It seemed like uh, I don't know the the male equivalent of like becoming a webcam girl or something. <laughs> and um, so I was like, now nah, that that's definitely not going to happen. But I was interested in writing. And so I was like, okay, that's something that I could get behind. What if I just wrote the book that I wish someone would have just given me back when I was 17 or 18 getting into lifting that would have saved me a lot of time and frustration and would have helped me get to where I am now a lot faster. And uh, so I did that and I wrote a book called Bigger, Leaner, Stronger. And it was just kind of a nights and weekends thing. I didn't really know if anybody was going to care, but at the time, Amazon's self-publishing platform, uh, KDP, Kindle Direct, whatever it stands for, actually, just uh, yeah. was getting a lot of attention in the media because there was this guy named John Locke. I don't know if you remember seeing his story, but he was the first guy, the first author, male or female, to sell over a million books on Amazon's KDP platform. And so they made a big deal out of his story and, and to just promote the, the platform to other people. And I heard about that and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And his gimmick, the thing that really helped him was he was, I guess, one of the first people to really use the 99 cent price uh, as, a, as a marketing ploy. Um, right, where, right. right. Like apparently his books were pretty good and they were full sized books and they were only 99 cents. And that was a novelty then. That was just not a thing. And uh, he, he was writing – I think primarily to women and there are more female readers than male readers. And he was writing in a popular, I, I think it's just like kind of thriller with some sex and violence and stuff. I don't know. It's popular, popular fiction and, and it blew up. Yeah. And so, so that sounded interesting to me. And so I, I wrote this bigger, leaner, stronger book. I published it in 2012 and it sold like 20 copies in the first month. And I thought that I was excited. I was like, Hey, Somebody, somebody bought my book. I, I mean, I didn't know what to expect. I thought there's a, there's definitely a chance because I had no network. I had no advertising. I wow. had no recognition. I was just some dude who had informed himself and got, and I, and, and, and got jacked and, <laughs> and that's it. Like that was it. Right. I do want to point out though, when you say informed yourself, you're, I know I don't have bigger, leaner, stronger, but I have the female version. You have 40 pages of very tiny print references. <laughs> So and, this book is heavily researched. Yeah, I mean, and, yeah. and, and also just just to um, to clarify on that, that that also is the third edition of that right. book. So it has grown. The, sure. the first edition was not that big. It was probably, I think it was literally half the size yeah. actually of, of the existing book. But like the existing book, it was also um, re like I did. I did cite all relevant scientific research. Mm -hmm. um, it just it just has grown sure. over time and I've put in a, a lot of time. So to the, the to try to produce that book from scratch, yeah, would have been absurd actually. <laughs> but but it's been an iterative process, right, right. Um, and and yeah, so I publish it and uh, sells about twenty copies, and I was excited, and it sold then forty copies the next month, and I and I had put an email address in the book just at the end saying, hey, if you have any questions or suggestions or anything, just send me an email. And I started getting emails from readers who were really liking the book and asking questions and leaving reviews. And then by the end of 2012, it was selling several thousand copies per month. And at that point, I had started the price at 99 cents because I just didn't care about the money of it. I didn't even, I figured, uh, you know, I was considering just making it free, but I thought maybe it's best to have somebody pay something for it. Uh, <laughs> just because if you, if it's free, you probably also then pre-select for a certain type of reader, at least if, and the same thing would go for 99 cents versus maybe 9.99, but um, it was selling very well by the end of the year. And then I, from there, uh, the reason why I wrote the women's book, which was next was I had a lot of women reading it, asking if they could follow the program. And basically they were saying, I don't want to be bigger. I want to be leaner, leaner and stronger. And it sounds like a lot of this would apply to me, but I'm not sure. And so I had like a standard kind of copy and paste answer that would explain things. And at this point I had, um, I didn't know I didn't even have that yet. Yeah. So I was just explaining things like here are the key differences. Um, here's how I would change the program for, for you and here on the diet side and here on the training side. And so it became obvious though, that I should take the book and some of the stuff is, is 
not like fundamentally, there's no difference. Like take energy balance, which of course you learned about in Thinner, Leaner, Stronger. It applies just as much to men as to women. Um, and, but then there are other things like particularly related to menstrual cycles and hormones and, um, some, some, some bits of female physiology as they relate to muscle building. Women are not just little men. And so there are key differences in, in how a woman should approach certain aspects of getting fit. But I'll still say though, there's more, uh, similarities than dissimilarities. But anyway, that's how the women's book even came about. And so I took then the men's book and just customized it to women as much as I could, um, made a quite a, quite a big difference, for example, in the workout program. So in the men's book, cause, cause the, 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 the thing with guys is they're going to, they're going to be happy with their lower body a lot sooner than their upper body for most guys can, if they have right. Or normal... most guys don't even care about their lower body. Or that. <laughs> if or you that. look around the gym. <laughs> that's true. That's a, that's a thing too. That's a thing to dress legs. As, oh my uh... gosh. What is going on? <laughs> yep, yep. So, so if they care at all, yes, exactly. Right. right? And, and so what that ultimately means though, is if they want to have some sort of symmetry to their physique, they're going to train their legs, but their legs are going, it's, it's a, it's a very big muscle group. It responds very well to, uh, heavy weights. And so what happens is your legs generally grow very quickly, but then, uh, something like the pecs, which many guys, it's like, you know, chest and biceps is why most guys get into working out. Those muscle groups grow quite slowly for most guys. So it takes a lot more work on the upper body to get to where they want to be in a lot more time. Whereas with women, it's usually the other way around. They, it takes a lot more work for them to be able to get the lower body, uh, the legs and the butt that they want versus the arms or the shoulders that they want. And so there are just uh, key differences that, that between the two books and the two programs. And, um, yeah, so, so I published that book in maybe 2013 and then I started a website and I published more books and things just kind of grew from there and here I am. Yeah. Well, it's awesome. Such a great, such a great Bible, you guys, thinner, leaner, stronger for the women, bigger, leaner, stronger for the men. But one of the things that I loved so much about besides all the references, cause I'm a nerd, um, and I love knowing that what I'm reading is heavily researched, but what I loved is that you really kind of looked at myths and things that we've been led to believe and you're, you'd say why those don't fly and here's why. And it makes so much sense. I mean, by the end of this book, you have a clear plan, you have a clear path. So what are some of the things, let's maybe talk about two or three of these myths that maybe women in particular um, are led to believe with regard to their, their health, their diet, their fitness, and, and what is, what is the truth about them? Yeah, we should probably start with carbs and sugars. Yeah. I think that's a good place to start, right? The idea that carbs and sugars make you fat. And that is, I mean, it's so popular now. I mean, keto dieting, like keto's all the rage and sugar is definitely the kind of boogeyman, the dietary boogeyman of uh of the day. And what What's what's kind of annoying about this one is it, it's actually complete BS. There's there's not even a little bit of truth to it. I, I guess maybe if you kind of what's true is um, many many carbohydrate rich foods and many sugar rich foods are are nice to eat and so they're easier to overeat than let's say vegetables and stuff without sugar. But beyond that, there's nothing inherently fattening about carbs or inherently fattening about sugar. The only thing that can make you fatter is overeating, is eating more calories than you are burning consistent, consistently. And that uh, is, is the energy balance for anyone listening who's not familiar, the energy balance that I referred to, which is the relationship between the amount of energy that you are burning and the amount of energy that you are eating. And as, bi as body fat is just, a, it's, an, it's, it's an energy reserve that our body has uh, to, to tap into when it doesn't have energy from food. Uh, see, when we eat food, we, what happens is our body burns a bit of the energy for its immediate needs and it stores uh, a bit of the excess as body fat. And then once it runs out of the energy from, from food, it, it has to get energy from somewhere. And if it didn't have this mechanism whereby it can just tap into body fat 
we would just die. That'd be the end. <laughs> all, really, that's what would happen. Yeah. Uh, because all of our cells need, they need energy to keep going. And the only way to stay alive, stay alive then would be a constant infusion of food, of calories, which to be specific, a calorie is just a potential amount of energy. So certain foods have more energy in them than others. And so what happens is when we consistently eat more energy than we're burning, we are consistently storing a bit more fat after you know, really what we're looking at is every day, you could say every 24 hour period where we are consistently feeding our body more energy than it's burning. So someone like you, let's say you maybe burn 2000 calories in a day. If you were to consistently eat 2,500 calories per day, your body would store a certain percentage of that excess of 500 calories as body fat. And you might not notice that in the day to day, just like how if you eat a, if you eat unhealthy food uh, one day, you don't necessarily feel unhealthier, but do it for two months straight and you're not feeling so good anymore. Similarly, with with weight gain, it's so slight uh, and uh, that it's you're not going to notice it in the day to day, but you are getting a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bigger. And then on the flip side, if you are consistently eating less, or fewer calories than you're burning, less energy. So let's go the other way around where you're burning 2,500 calories per day, but you're only feeding your body 2,000 calories per day. Where is it getting that 500 calorie deficit from? And the answer is primarily from body fat. And that's one of the ma that's one of the primary roles of body fat. It has other roles in the body, but first and foremost, it is an energy reserve. And it's there because in the past, like our, our ancient ancestors, they often had to go for days without food and then they would kill an animal and they would feast and their, the body had to have some way to, to stay alive for what, you know, maybe it maybe be a week before they eat again and there's, it's going to involve a lot of walking and physical activity. And so the, the mechanism that, that, that was that evolved was this, which is storing excess calories from meals and then burning them when there's no food energy available. So we bring that back to carbs and sugar. When viewed through that lens, there's nothing special about, about them in terms of calories. And so like a, a gram of carbohydrate has about four calories and a gram of sugar has about four calories and a gram of protein has about four calories. And if all we cared about, uh, and, and just for people wondering, a gram of dietary fat, a bit more about nine calories. Right. So if, if all we cared about was our body weight, what this comes down to is all we would have to do. And this has been shown in a number of studies that I can, I can talk about, but all we have to do is make sure that our calorie output, the amount of energy that we're burning every day is more or less the same as the amount of uh, energy that we are eating. If we do that, our body weight is not going to change. And this has been shown in a number of studies. There was a study conducted by scientists at Arizona State University that found no difference in weight loss or fat loss between people consuming five or 40% of their calories for from carbohydrate for 10 weeks. Mm. There, was a, there was a study uh, conducted by scientists at the Medical College of Wisconsin that found no difference in weight or fat loss between people consuming four and 30% of their calories from carbohydrate for six weeks. And there are uh, several other studies like this that I talk about in the book. Um, and so what that comes down to again is if you are eating fewer calories than you're burning, regardless of the foods that you're eating, regardless of how many carbs, regardless of how much sugar, if you do that consistently, you will get leaner and leaner. Now, the caveat is that although many people say they want to lose weight, really what they want to do is they want to lose fat and not muscle. Right. They, want, they want to improve their body composition. And that's very true for women um, for guys, it would instinctively be like, oh yeah, of course. Many women though are kind of- Women don't think about it. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're conditioned to kind of just live and die by the scale, right? Right. And, and it's all about cardio, excessive cardio and starvation dieting. And it's about seeing as low of a number as you can on the scale without thinking about- body composition, which is what is your weight made up of? And in the context of this discussion, focusing particularly on muscle tissue and body fat. Now, the reason why many women, and this, this kind of ties into the next uh, myth that we can talk about, the reason why many women are a bit turned off by even the idea of quote unquote gaining muscle is they think that it's gonna make them bulky. 
right? And if they get into weightlifting in particular, like if they're going to gain muscle, they want to gain, quote, lean and long muscle, not bulky muscle. And there's no such thing as bulky muscle or lean and long muscle. Muscles can get bigger or smaller. That's actually all they can do. And some things make them bigger, faster than others. But really the problem with women who look bulky, and I understand that, like there are some women you can call it whatever you want, but bulky is a simple way of, of, of describing it. Uh, there is a certain look, but the problem there is not the weightlifting. It's not the muscle building. It's body fatness. And so how this works is just to, to, to start with, you know, I've worked with thousands of women over the years and I would say the most, most women, probably most of the women listening to this, the type of body they want, if we put exact numbers to it, to go from, let's say just normal, uh, normal female physique, not underweight, not overweight, just normal to ideal for most women entails gaining probably about 15 pounds of muscle in the right places and maintaining a body fat percentage of around 20%. Uh, that's really what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. And most- That's so interesting though. I really want everyone to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I mean- Gaining it, it, 15 pounds of I know. something. So when you don't lose any weight for a year, but yet all of a sudden all your clothes are two sizes smaller. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah. And you know, yeah. I've heard from so many women over the years and I understand where it's kind of baffling where, especially so it's in the first couple of months when your body's very responsive to, to weightlifting. And so they'll say they're a bit concerned because their weight hasn't changed or hasn't changed much, but like their clothes are fitting better and they look better and they're so they they're not complaining they're just confused so like how right. how am i losing oh i think they are complaining <laughs> maybe, they think maybe people maybe complain about this stupid number <laughs> yeah maybe maybe sometimes but yeah. they at least have a silver lining they're just like yeah, well yeah. No, like i'm happy with what's happening but at the same time i'm not and i don't know why you know right, what i mean right right and, and so it's funny, this is, it's happened many times where then staying in touch with women over the course of many months and even in some cases, many, a number of years, but where they're very surprised once they've gotten the type of body where they're like, wow, like I look really good now. They're, they're often surprised how much they weigh right. that they that they weigh, they would think that, oh, my ideal weight, because they think back to like maybe their college days or even high school days and go, all right, my ideal weight was was X pounds, 120 pounds or something. And now they maybe weigh 140 pounds or 135 pounds. And they're like, but I I look so good. I look even better than mm -hmm. and then how how is that? And and the thing is with muscle tissue is it's denser than body fat. So what a pound of muscle occupies less space than a pound of body fat. And so it can be deceiving. And, and the type of look again, that many women are after, which is that athletic look where you have muscle definition, you don't look, you don't look jacked. Um, but you, you have good muscle tone, good muscle definition curves, what many women don't realize is that actually requires a fair amount of muscle gain to have legs like that, to have a butt right. like that, to have arms and shoulders and a back like that requires a fair amount of muscle gain. And as this muscle tissue is dense, it doesn't take up as much space as body fat. So there's just a, a disconnect there between what gaining a pound of muscle really looks like, uh, especially when it's distributed over, let's say, the entirety of your lower body versus a pound of body fat. Right. And, and so that's another myth that I, that I talk about in the book, which is that idea that like, oh, you definitely don't want to, and don't lift heavy weights, definitely. <laughs> like, that's how you get super bulky, you know? Right, right. Well, one of the things that was interesting is the kind of rate at which women can gain muscle. Um, and when you really, and I think it was in your book, but it's like a half pound a month max. Yep. Um, and, and that's in the beginning when your body's most responsive. Right. So if you're looking at at gaining a half pound and then recomping, um, you know, losing three pounds of fat and then you're holding onto water because I mean, that's a possibility. And then your weight just stays the same. And then you, you're like, well, I just quit. <laughs> it's this frustrating process, but, um, you're so right that the body that women are after is not skinny fat. No one wants to be skinny fat. Um, even though we're just obsessed about the scale.
Yep. Yeah. And and again, that's just been I understand that's been the focus a lot of a lot of the mainstream fitness information has yeah. been it's guys are supposed to go in the gym and lift a bunch of weights and the girls are supposed to go to the to the uh, treadmills and just grind their joints in <laughs> dust and and eat 500 calories a day. Yeah. So I've been really confused because I, I am an Olympic style weightlifting background. So I, I was lifting weights from 14 to 19. And then oh, I nice. basically did nothing for 15 years but drink and eat pizza. And then I did some endurance sports. But I was all about getting jacked <laughs> because of, of where I came from. Yeah. Um, but it's it's interesting. I've always been really heavy. So even when I was lifting, I wasn't like I competed as like an 80 kilo lifter. So like 178 oh, yeah. pounds, which um, – even now that I don't do that, I realize that I can carry um, a lot of fat really well because I carry a lot of muscle well, which means I have a lot of places for my fat to hide. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I can lose 10 pounds and not look really any different because all of the intramuscular fat I think I can, I can hold on to. Um, but I find such a difference in just clothing size when I really hit the strength training hard. My, my weight is always fluctuating, but that measurement of your midsection and like yep. maybe as, as a woman, your butt is such a big thing. And so I always encourage everyone I talk to him, like, if you're not measuring, you're not, you're not paying attention because that, that really matters. Yeah. It's very important. And specifically for women, it's important for guys to pay more attention. To, 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 to not just pay attention to the scale, but for women in particular for this reason. And also then you have menstruation, which mm -hmm. kind of, you know, then your, your, your weight is, is already going to be fluctuating wildly. And, and that even, and you know, this I don't have to, based on your background, how it can impact your training too. Right. How, uh, you know, when you're ovulating, you feel super strong and that's probably when you would not hit your PRs. And then later in your cycle, you, I mean, some women, they lose so much strength it's actually baffling to them. They'll lose half of their strength. They'll just yeah. feel almost like, you know, useless. And, um, so, so that those are, those are also things that are just a couple examples of why, again, women are not just little men. There are some other factors that need to be accounted for. Right. One thing you mentioned, I want to go back to is, was the energy balance because so many of us are thinking, you know, I need to cut calories here. I need to reduce here. But one of the things that I don't think we often realize is how small the change can be. And, and you did touch on it briefly, but I wanted to put it into kind of numbers. Mm. If we just eat a hundred calories over our energy output a day, for a year, that's 36,500 calories, which is 10 pounds weight gain a year. Yep. I mean, and, and, and 100 calories to put in that that's a cup of milk. And it's nothing. It's like three almonds. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so when people are like, I don't know why I'm not losing weight. I'm but if you like literally grab a handful of some snack every day you are doing that to yourself. And and it's that delicate. And that was something that I learned over the past two years when I've really started getting my nutrition in line is that the energy balance, while we can't know precisely exactly. where yeah. we are, it is also that delicate. Yeah. <laughs> and so and, it's frustrating. And, oh, totally. And if that, if that sounds uh, daunting to anyone listening, I, I, I should add that when you are wanting to lose weight and especially let's say lose fat specifically just to to make it clear but uh, especially when you're 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 pretty lean and you want to get really lean you do need to be very precise in your intake i i, I that yeah, to try to go about it in an intuitive way where you just kind of, you know, try to stick to lower calorie foods and stay away from higher calorie foods and just hope that you have enough of an energy deficit and a big enough difference between input and output to drive weight loss. It can work to a point, but there's a point where it really just doesn't work. And then you have to follow a, a strict meal plan. Now you do get to eat the foods you like and you've experienced that. So that makes it a lot easier when you actually look forward to your meals. So you're, you're not, uh, no foods are off limits. You are not heavily restricting anything you are just watching how much food you're eating but yes you do for example want to get in the habit in the beginning at least of weighing your food so you can really actually get an idea of what you know a few hundred calories of yogurt actually looks like or a couple hundred calories of nuts like what does that actually look like and then though once you've reached your weight loss goal 
maintenance is much easier. You don't have to be as strict because one, by then you're actually going to, you're going to be pretty familiar with the foods you like to eat and the calories that they contain and how those calories break down into protein, carbohydrate, and fat. And so you're naturally going to, going to, have a, a better sense of how much food you should be eating to just kind of maintain your weight. Um, but then also it's, it's easier to course correct when, okay, let's say you overeat for a couple of days and you might even be aware that you overdid it a little bit. And so then you just undereat for a couple of days, nothing drastic, but you just cut out, you go, ah, this is what I normally eat for dinner. Okay. I'm going to cut out the pita bread, uh, for dinner for a couple of days. And, you know, I'm going to eat one less piece of fruit for a couple of days. There, there we go. There's, you know, 300 calories cut out of my, my daily intake. And I'll do that to, you know, quote unquote, undo the few days of overeating. So it's very easy to do that when, when you want to just maintain your body weight and your body composition. But yes, if you want to lose fat as quickly and efficiently as possible, those, uh, those little kind of slip ups add up to, uh, you know, a smaller calorie deficit, or they can erase the calorie deficit altogether, which is annoying because you still feel like you are, I don't want to say on a diet because many women, the, the experiences that they associate with being on a diet are not nearly, uh, are, are much more, uh, unpleasurable than what we're talking about. Um, because, when you do get to eat the foods you like and when you are not starving yourself and when you are eating enough protein, I'm sure you've experienced this, right? That it's, it's, you might be hungry from time to time and feel like you, you would like to eat some more food, but, uh, you don't, you're not sitting in like daydreaming about pie or something. Right. You know? <laughs> right. it's, it's totally different when you, when you pick the right foods and when you are getting that balance versus just measuring calories and having it all be ice cream. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, that the, the, it's still though, if you, if you slip up a little bit, you still feel like, okay, you're, you're on quote unquote on your diet and you would like to be able to eat a bit more and, but you're not now you're really not getting anywhere. And that's where little mistakes, like, um, like some common ones, for example, just, just to be specific is let's say, uh, somebody, they, they, they make a meal plan and they put in a hundred calories worth of like almond butter or something in a, in a snack. And then, uh, that's, that's supposed to be, I, I'm not sure if, uh, what is exactly in a tablespoon, but let's say there's measuring it in tablespoons, but they didn't, they didn't think of it in terms of like how many grams of almond butter in, in actual physical weight equates to those calories. And so when they go do their tablespoons, they do like heaping tablespoons <laughs> and, but they don't realize that the tablespoon that they were working with, uh, in their meal plan was, uh, let's say it's 16 grams or something, but their tablespoons are 20 grams and up, oh, oops, like that, that hundred calorie snack is maybe 140 calorie snack. And then that cup of oatmeal, uh, oops, instead of 80 or 90 grams, it's 120 grams. So it's kind of a heaping. And so it's, it's, it's very easy to f be like 80% right, but just, just to, to make enough of those little mistakes to erase the calorie deficit. Right and erase the, the fat loss. Right. And so that's why I try and let people know, you know, it actually is a gift to be able to weigh and measure your food because it is even still, it's not a thousand percent accurate. So, you know, yep. that you're doing the best you can when you are, when you're weighing it because the heaping tablespoon or even like the cup of strawberries can, can be way off. Totally. And, yeah. you know, you can err on the on the side of, OK, I'm having a little bit less and a little bit more. And you don't have to be neurotic about it, obviously, right. like exactly what you're saying. You can you don't even know exactly how much energy you're burning every day. I mean, you right. can, you can come to a pretty accurate estimate, but it is it's a moving target that you're not going to hit. and You don't need to. You just need to get the most important things mostly right most of the time. <laughs> and I, I, it sounds kind of cheesy, but I actually I think it's a good way of looking at it because we don't need to try to be perfect. We don't have to try to be perfect with our exercise schedule, with our uh, weighing of foods, or even just with our intake. Even if it's like, okay, you ate 400 calories more than you planned on eating that day because there was, uh, I don't know, some surprise social uh, thing at the office and there was food and you wanted to have some. Okay, so what? I mean, it really doesn't matter. So, so you've set yourself back one day. <laughs> 
You know what I mean? One, who cares? Forward. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you're, let's say you're going to reach your goal in 90 days. All right, now it's 91 days. It really is not a big deal. And on, there's also something to be said for that it's, it's actually nice sometimes when, let's say you have a fair amount of fat to lose and it's going to take a few months. It's not going to be a few weeks. It's going to be a few months. And some people are very gung ho and they're, they're just like hardcore and they are going to stay in a deficit the entire time and get there as quickly as possible. And that's fine. But I'd say that doesn't work well for most people. What works better is to have some breaks even planned like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be strict. Uh, for a month and then I'm going to take a week and I'm going to not just eat anything, but I'm going to increase my calories by three or 400 calories per day. I'm just going to eat more food for a week just to give myself a break. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great idea. And that's been shown in research to help with long-term weight loss because it just makes it more sustainable. And so, all right, fine. You've been, uh, you know, really sticking to your meal plan for three weeks and you're doing well. And then you ate more than you wanted to one day or maybe even two days, you could get down on yourself or you could one go, well, there's no actual, okay, I, I've, I've made this take an insignificant amount of time longer. And eh, it's, it's actually good for the body to have a break here and there because uh, a calorie deficit, even when done correctly, it is mild starvation. That is how the body views it, even though it's not unhealthy and there's no other way to go about it. Our body doesn't know what our plans are. All it knows is if it keeps losing fat like this, it's going to die. Like that's, right. <laughs> that's actually all it knows. It doesn't know that like, we plan on stopping at a healthy body fat level and eating more food again. And so it has different countermeasures, physiological countermeasures. It deploys to try to get us to eat less and move more. And so it is nice for the body to get a little break occasionally. And so you could also view your quote unquote mistake as, all right, a little break, throw the body a bone. It's happy to get a little bit more food. And that can even make the whole process easier. Right. And if you just recognize it, that sometimes your body is just screaming. Like, for example, I've I've been on my meal plan for two straight weeks and I've done very, very well. And today, I don't know if it was because I turned on the impeachment hearing. I just <laughs> stress like, levels I, go up. <laughs> I, uh, I was like, I want some some rice checks because I don't do gluten. And and honestly, rice checks are like the worst thing that I can possibly get into there because I don't stop it. <laughs> any of it it's like crack for me but i realized that i think my body was like today was a rest day yeah um and and my body i think my body was genuinely like you better feed me some stuff or i'm gonna go on like a four-day binge you know what i mean it was yeah, just yeah. that moment where i was like you know what i'm actually really hungry and i'm gonna eat this rice checks and it's going to be fine and then i won't have the rice and the sweet potato i plan to have later and it's fine but me getting to that point after 30 years of dieting and, and extreme this, extreme that is is a very long process. And I think if we've had bad, um, and I don't want to say bad, but destructive eating behaviors in the past, mm. it's, it's hard to trust ourselves. And so I think your book is really amazing at, at setting out the myths and the truths so we can kind of have a, have a guide to learn to be able to hear that voice that like, okay, a bowl of cereal is not the end. <laughs> carry on <laughs> and especially in the context of what we were just talking about carbs and sugar yeah, like you yeah, yeah. you you know that you didn't just there take any any especially fattening uh, action by eating some rice checks you know right. that okay maybe nutritionally it's not the best thing fine but you know as long as your diet's good on the whole you can have you could have a bowl of those every day for the rest of your life and right. you're and have your doctor every time you see him or her be like wow you're so healthy i'm i you're the paragon of health how are you doing this um <laughs> and 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 that point though of that you just that you just said of Oh, well, I'll just have, okay, the sweet potato and the rice that I was going to have later, I won't have that. That's, that's a great, simple way to also just kind of duck and weave with your body. Like you're saying, you were hungry and you felt maybe even specifically for carbs. And normally you'd eat your carbs later. And so you say, I'll have them now. And by the end of the day, I mean, your calorie intake may not have even been, you know, right. that, that, right. that much different. You just shifted 
your your meal timing and you shifted a food choice one day and you made it through the day satisfied and like you said uh not not feeling even more on the edge of of eating way too much which also can happen and yeah. and when it does happen it's one of those things it's the to use the cheesy internet slogan keep calm and carry on it's not that <laughs> big of a deal uh, something good to know is that your body you can only gain so much fat in a day and there's no clear research on this but i think a reasonable estimate would be maybe a pound but you'd have to eat so much additional food to do that and a lot of dietary fat it would be maybe if you ate let's say i'm going to say about 5000 calories more than you burned in a day with a lot of dietary fat and you were pretty sedentary maybe you could gain a pound i'm not even sure the body can cuz it has to synthesize this stuff it doesn't right. just magically turn into fat although and, that's going to show up as like 8 pounds on the scale than yes day. because of water <laughs> that's true that's true yeah. you're going to hold more water but of of actual fat and the water goes right. away in a day or two but of actual fat and and that's about as much of a binge as you I mean that that's like we're now we're talking about cuts on top of what you burn so we're talking about eating seven eight thousand plus calories in a day you know that would be hard for me to do without puking uh, <laughs> I could do it Mike <laughs> yeah I mean maybe no I could problem. do it I'm trying to think I, I, if I if okay if I planned it's my like a food. large pizza <laughs> no 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 that's like that's like probably three, three to four large oh. pizzas oh maybe not in one sitting but. <laughs> okay. Well, true. I could I could do it with you then. But I, I'll just say I would be I would not be hungry at all. I would just be eating for the sake of eating because yeah. you know at that point your body is like whoa, whoa okay we're good we don't we don't need this much energy we like That's food. When you have the meat sweats. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what we call them anytime we go out to eat and have like way too much like steak or something. Yeah, your body's just so hot. You're like, I get oh that God, from I've carbs. If I eat a bunch of carbs, I'll be I'll be sweating. My wife makes yeah. fun of me. <laughs> the meat sweats. Exactly. The carbs. I think, I think it's just so helpful to bring that kind of truth to the world, though. To be like, do you know how much you have to eat to legitimately gain a pound in a day? Yep. I mean, it's so important that everyone listening like really hears that. Like, hear it. Three large pizzas. <laughs> We're yeah. not doing that to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I'm not even sure. I'm not even that there there it's there's a question as to really right. what the physiological limit is, but I think that's a reasonable estimate. And exactly that point of what you said is that you're not doing that. And also something that should be said that's even it's just more good news along these lines is your body doesn't necessarily do it doesn't do the same things with calories from protein, carb, and fat. So as far as immediate fat storage goes, and I don't want to confuse anybody here. So energy balance over the over the long term, the bigger picture really dictates your body weight. Um, if we're looking at an individual meal, though, a high fat meal results in the most fat storage because dietary fat is chemically similar to, to body fat. It doesn't need to be processed nearly as much as carbohydrate and protein to turn into body fat. And so what you see is a, a high a high percentage of it is just converted into body fat. So that's the that's the most effective way to get fatter from an individual meal <laughs> is is eat a lot of calories and a lot of dietary fat in that meal. And if you want to speed it up even more, then add some alcohol too. Uh, <laughs> but carbohydrate, contrary to uh, what is commonly claimed, and, and a number of studies have shown this, carbohydrate is not converted effectively into body fat. And actually, uh, it's not converted at all into body fat until carbohydrate intake has been very high for several days. And this has been shown in, in a couple studies. It, it can contribute to fat gain in other ways, but as far as like directly gaining more fat, carbs do not, if we look at an individual meal, contribute much to direct fat gain at all. And protein is the same. It's negligible. So again, that doesn't mean that like, oh, so, and this has been also tested where then some people along the way thought they could hack their biology by essentially eating a lot of protein, a lot of carbs, and like no dietary fat. And that doesn't work. What happens mm -hmm. is when the body goes, because the body needs dietary fat for various like vital health reasons and it goes oh shit we're not getting the fatty acids that we need it then starts converting carbohydrate in particular into those fatty acids so mm -hmm. you, you can't trick your body but uh, as far as an individual meal goes 
let's say, so again, let's say it's you've just eaten a lot of carbs. That's a common thing, right? And that includes sugar too. Um, again, not only can you only gain so much fat from an individual meal and then from a from a, from a day, but if it's a high carb meal, it will result in less fat gain than let's say a high fat meal. Now, a, a high protein meal would be even better in that regard, but that's a bit weird unless you just like to eat like, I don't know, <laughs> a pound of meat in one sitting and that's <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unless you like the meat sweats, and that's what you go for. Um, but but it's also something to keep in mind is that a lot of the a lot of the stuff that that we like to eat tends to be it it depends. It can come with some fat, but a lot of it tends to be higher carb, and that's that's really less even less of an issue as far as immediate fat gain goes than than like eating nineteen avocados. Like that would be worse. Right. Right. Well, Mike, we could talk for days, and that's why you have your amazing um, Instagram and all of your social media, Muscle for Life Fitness on Instagram, tons of information um, about all of this. But your book for the women, Thinner, Leaner, Stronger, and for the guys, Bigger, Leaner, Stronger, is just fantastic, everyone. So make sure you check it out. Um, Mike, so one question for you before we go. Um, This podcast is called The Same 24 Hours, which means we all have the same 24 hours in our day. But it's what we do in those 24 hours that makes the difference between our greatest health, happiness, and success, and a life perhaps that we don't want. So I like to ask my guest, what is something that you do on a daily basis that you think contributes to your greatest 24 hours? Uh, cocaine, probably. You know, very, <laughs> a lot of <laughs> very productive, productive you know, fat, and skinny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Higher, leaner stronger there it is there it is uh no i would say reading uh is is reading and and working out uh cliche but those are probably the two things that so i wake up early-ish 5 30 or 6 and i have an infrared sauna that i go sit in because it has some health benefits it also just feels nice and i read uh first thing in the morning and that's for let's say 45 minutes or so on average sometimes a little bit less depending on when i wake up and sometimes a little bit more and and then i go straight from from there to the gym and i do my workout first thing in the morning and then i go to work after that and i find that just starting my day that way it sets the kind of the the tone for the rest of the day. Like I start every day in a good mood. I have energy. I feel awake, and I've I've I checked off two little boxes already. Uh, and those are those are two activities that contribute greatly to the to the bigger picture of of what I want to do and my goals, and and for different reasons. But uh, it's nice to know that those are just very high leverage activities that are are benefiting me in many different ways and so yeah for me i'd say those are probably the two biggest awesome well thank you so much mike absolutely thanks for having me i really appreciate it thank you for joining me on this episode of the same 24 hours remember to rate review and share this podcast it really matters i appreciate it see you next time